Join the conversation on 0499 736 736. Welcome to Breeding Bloodstock and Banter with Gareth Hall and the Captain. Yes, hello, I'm Gareth Hall and welcome to SEN Tracks Breeding Bloodstock and Banter with the Captain Guy Moldcaster. Now, this will be a weekly show talking about the game within the great game. We'll discuss and debate the big issues that shape the sport. Talk to the major players of the breeding and bloodstock industries with a special feature interview each week. The captain will educate us like only he can and we'll try and find you a couple of winners as well. And most importantly, have some fun talking about this spectacular sport that produces so many inspiring narratives. There truly is nothing else like racing and there truly is nothing else like my co-host, the man known as the captain. And hasn't the captain got some story to tell? Born and bred in New Zealand, he was a talented horseman working with some of New Zealand's great trainers before he decided it was time to chase his own dream of making a name for himself in the bloodstock game. And hasn't he been able to do just that? The man who purchased the great one, the mighty Winx. So let's get stuck into it. The show inspired by the bloodstock and breeding of the thoroughbred, the fabric the institution, the heart and soul of the greatest game of all. And it's time to welcome in, welcome in the star of the show, the one and the only Guy Moldcaster. G'day, Guy. Hi, Gareth. How are you? Good, thank you, mate. Are you more nervous about this podcast or are you more nervous trying to buy your next champion when you're at the sales? Well, it's a hell of a big weekend coming up this weekend, Gareth. We've got good runners uh, all over Australia and especially Kovalika in the rough habit. And then Saturday night, Straight to the Gabba, the Essendon <laughs> Bombers take on the Brisbane Lions, $1.36 to $3.70, and I'm going to be going the way of Essendon. I think they've got a great chance. They're a bit stiff. They just got a bit tired last week. Obviously, weren't match fit. So you follow the AFL being a Kiwi? I follow anything you can bet on, yes. Gareth. What's your favourite sport to bet on? Racing. Yeah. And you, you, you love your rugby league as well. Yeah, yeah, we've got uh, the Broncos take on the sport, the Storm tonight, so that's yep. going to be a pretty good game. But uh, I think the outsiders at two dollars fifteen, the Broncos will be very, very hard to roll. So we'll talk about um, some of your better bets later on in the program. Looking forward to that. But this show is all about having a little bit of fun, educating the people out there about the bloodstock and breeding industries, talking about some of the hot topics. That's what what's making news these days in the game. And also having a feature interview, which we'll conduct each and every week. But I thought, being our first show guy, that I'll interview you. And you can tell us a little bit about your story. Because as I mentioned in the opener there, it is some story, great man. Well, it takes a bit of keeping up with that sort of introduction you gave me, Gareth. But we'll have a little battle along <laughs> and see how we end up. So, so you were born and bred in New Zealand. Was racing always in your blood? Yes, my father raced a number of horses and my grandfather did as well. And... From a young age, I was very interested in it. When I was at school, uh, from age of 13 or 14, I used to go and work at the horse studs in my Christmas holidays, and uh, that was a really good way to get into it. Once I realised at high school that I wasn't terribly good at being a scholar, <laughs> I moved, uh, left school and went and worked at Waikato Stud, did a couple of years there and worked at Windsor Park. So I actually got a good grounding in the uh, breeding industry as well. So then you work for some of New Zealand's great trainers and you're an assistant trainer to some of the very best. Uh, did you ever think about being a horse trainer? I did. I did, Gareth. But, you know, like 
it's a hard act to follow and there's a lot of work involved in it. I was lucky enough to work at O'Sullivan's when they had the Surface Paradises and the Javelins mm. and numbers of other good horses and also at Moroni's when he had a number of good horses as well. After doing a couple of years at each of those places, I moved on to Laurie Laxon where I was a part trainer with him. And to be fair, it was very, very enjoyable to work with Laurie. He was a a wonderful man and uh, very, very funny. And uh, <laughs> there wasn't a day that we didn't have a hell of a good laugh. Geez, you work with some superstars there, mate. What did you learn from those trainers? I think everybody does things a little bit different, yeah. but in New Zealand, you work the horses a lot harder than they do in Australia and they're very, very fit. And that comes out when they get on the testing ground and that they just keep going at the one bat. They don't necessarily have a turn of foot, but they always get the trip. Yeah. And New Zealand, as you mentioned um it is a great breeding ground to uh, for the thoroughbreds and they've produced and we'll talk about this a little later on especially this season they've been producing group one winners for fun um in this current australian racing season but what what makes new zealand such a special place for the thoroughbred i think um a lot of it's to do with the environment and a lot of it's to do with the really good horsemen they have over there they know how to breed them they breed them hard, they breed them tough, and they have longevity in their racing careers. Now, they just recently had all the uh, the new inductions into the New Zealand Hall of Fame. Very elegant. Melody Bell, Bovite, Michael Moroni, of course, Opie Bossom, the champion jockey, and Paul O'Sullivan. Surely Guy Molcaster um, isn't far away. Uh, they don't actually have a section for the bloodstock agents, really, oh, Gary. they? No. <laughs> well, well, they should. We, we need to put this on the agenda. Well, that won't be happening anyway. Um, we'll take a quick break. And then on the other side of it, I want to talk about how you got into the bloodstock game and the reason why you went down that path. And also your association, of course, with uh, the legendary trainer in Chris Waller. Welcome back to the Breeding Bloodstock and Banter with Gareth Hall and, of course, the captain, Guy Moldcaster. Now, Guy, was bloodstock, the bloodstock game something that you always wanted to get into? Well, I was lucky enough while I worked for Laurie Laxon to be a bid spotter in the New Zealand bloodstock sales. And I really enjoyed the fact that, you know, the money had changed hands and there was a hell of a lot of an opinion involved. I remember showing a horse to a bloke that was a pretty good trainer and he just laughed at me <laughs> and said, oh, you'd never buy that bloody thing. So I thought if I'm going to do this, I'm going to have to learn a lot more about it. And I just, uh, chewed through catalogues, looked at lots of yearlings, didn't have very many clients at the beginning, but I was lucky enough to team up with Chris Waller. We had people like Neville Morgan who entrusted their faith in me, and it's been a long-term thing that's kept going and going with a number of very, very good clients. So as, as you mentioned before, you work with some of the great New Zealand trainers like the, the Laurie Laxons, the O'Sullivan's, and, and Mike Moroney. Now, when you're training and learning how to train a galloper and prepare them for competing on a racetrack, what's the difference between a trainer's eye and a bloodstock agent's eye? I think the trainer probably just, uh, he, he needs something that's going to stand up. It's got to be physically uh, very well set up. It needs to be sound. He needs to be able to train it. He needs to get it to the races he wants to get it to. Yeah. Whereas a bloodstock agent, you're just looking for an athlete. You're hoping that it goes to a good trainer and it gets its best chance. So when you're trying to start off in this industry in the bloodstock game, and you mentioned Chris Waller before, and you basically started your journeys together in a way, how difficult was it to to get up and running? And 
Did you ever think, this might get a little bit too tough? Yeah, I remember I sold my first horse when I was working at New Zealand Bloodstock, and uh, I think a bloke paid 25000 for it, and he flew it to Melbourne, and everything was good, except I got a phone call three days later, and he rang me up and said, well, did my horse arrive safely? <laughs> and I thought, okay. Oh, no. So you have to have attention to detail, yeah. and you have to make sure the client's happy with the product they've got. But when you start, like – it's not like Gareth Hall can rock up at the Wheeling sales next week in, on the Magic uh, on the Gold Coast for the Magic Millions Wheeling sale and and purchase five horses and then go all right then I'm going to have clients come at me left right and centre to purchase these horses. So how do you get the trust of the industry? Well, you said that you can't just rock up there and buy five horses and think you're going to sell them. Plenty yep. do try. Do they? And that yes. is, and I would imagine that the success rate of doing that wouldn't be too high, Guy. Correct me if I'm wrong. Ends badly, Gary. Yes. So what would your advice be? Uh, have a plan. Yeah. Have a uh, Have someone that can sign the docket and then they, they get the bill and you don't have to worry about selling a but, horse because you buy a horse, the best day to sell it is at the sale on the day. The next day people have got other things to worry about. And, and so you did that with Chris Waller, didn't you? Like you didn't have, when you first started, you had to start from the very bottom. It, it was, you, what was your budget say in the first season that you were working with Chris or in the first years of your time as a bloodstock agent? Uh, the first, the first time we went to Tattersall's in England, we bought two horses. Yeah. They have a thing called in the, in the racing, uh, book the time form book and it's called a double squiggle yeah. horses with a double squiggle next to their name means tread very wearily yeah. they have issues they have temperament problems and most of the time they're actually total mongrels <laughs> we bought two of those for twenty thousand pounds each got them back to australia chris managed to win a race with both of them the next year we went back and bought four horses None with a double squiggle. I think we've brought over 120 horses back from Europe in the 15 years we've been doing it. And um, it's changed a hell of a lot through those two horses winning a race in their first season. What would have happened if those two horses didn't win? Do you ever think about that? Uh, Probably wouldn't have gone back to England again. (laughs) What about building Molcaster bloodstock? Now, everybody and we'll get to the story behind Winx and you've said that a million times, but everybody knows you working alongside Chris Wallet, but your business is bigger than that in a way. Um, how many clients would you buy for now and how long has it taken you to get to where you are right now on um, the 11th of May, 2023? I think Mulcaster Budstock's been going for about 15 years on its, uh, as a singular business. Um, yep. I have a number of clients that I work for. I wouldn't actually put a number on it, but I do help people in different ways with different lists and different opinions. And uh, some people might buy a horse every year. Some people might buy a horse every three years. And some people are just quite happy to suck your brain and muck you around. Yeah. Does that frustrate you? Like people like Jack Dickens and the like, they'd ask for your list and, you know. Uh, every dog has his day, Gareth. <laughs> <laughs> no, Jack looks up to your money taking. Don't don't ring me, Jack. It's um, just it's just like going fishing, Gareth. Some days you get a fish, some days you don't. But do you find that as a compliment that people look up to you now and 
want to pick your brain because you are the man that's got the runs on the board. You've been there, done that. Hey, I'm happy to help anybody, but after about three questions, I usually ask them if they'd like an invoice. All right, then. That's why we're paying you the big bucks. There's no doubt about that. Um, now, tell us the story about Winks. Was it a fluke? Um, I don't think you'd call it a fluke. No. But it was great management on Chris Waller's behalf. Yep. Um, he... I think everybody knows how we got her and, you know, that happened. But it was it was amazing that she – I think it was her second or third race when she raced at Warwick Farm. There was a very wealthy man actually offered them a hell of a lot of money to buy her. Mm. And it was it was lucky for the, the rest of the series that the owners actually knocked back the offer. So when you expected her, what did you love about her? Was it her temperament? Was it the way that she walked? And can, can you remember the – the the day that you set eyes on her for the first time and what what her attitude and temperament was like. I think uh, history will show that you remember the good ones, correct? And and some of the some of the slow ones were probably better looking. But we we were there to buy to a budget, and we had to sort of find the horse that fitted into our our section, you know. And we were lucky that. Her mother was pretty good in New Zealand and we knew a bit about that. And she was raced by Graham Rogerson. And we, you know, I'd seen her mother perform both in New Zealand and in Australia. And this filly was by Street Cry. She was a rangy, weak looking filly that always looked like she was going to furnish with time. And went before she went to Brisbane in her three-year-old year, before she began, began the sequence, she did look pretty light and she did look pretty stringy. But it's amazing in the Queensland weather, they get there and they just develop and they keep improving and improving. And that's what her record showed. Like, it was amazing that Alan Thomas could find her at the second yeah. last at the Sunshine Coast that day. He had her the winner at the top of the straight. <laughs> and once he put his, you know, he said, and, and there's Wink second last, He, you could see that she was just going to keep finding and building all the way to the line and the rest is history. Now, Captain, I want to pick your brain here because I'm fascinated by the broodmares and the way that you go about looking at the mums of these thoroughbreds. So Winx's mum, for instance, trained by Graham Rogerson, but Rogie um, didn't miss her, did he, throughout her career? Uh, that's pretty standard with all of the ones yes. that Rogie isn't it, Gareth? Yeah, but I love Rogie. He's such a colourful character. But when you talk to some people, they go, oh, I like, I like to buy um, – by yearlings that the mother hasn't done too much racing. I don't like to to um, see a mare that's had too many starts. What's your philosophy with all of that? I think it just confuses the whole system, yeah. really, Gareth. I think you take every every yearling on its merits, and if it is out of an older mare, you've got to have a look at it and make sure it doesn't look like an old mare's fault. Who's been the biggest influence on your career? Um, I think a number of people, but I, I wouldn't like to put, you know, put a finger on it. But, you know, you'd have to say that through my association with Chris Waller, it's given me a number of windows to open, you know, like him passing on the hermitage to me and we've managed to get the Autumn Sun, our first purchase and that sort of thing. That's something that goes on for years and yeah. years. And, you know, if, if it hadn't been for Chris Waller saying to them, you know, would you like God to buy them a horse? Well, might never have bought the Autumn Sun. And you've been involved with the Coolmore Stallion Syndicate as well that have purchased the Golden Slipper, Shinzo, of um, this season, of course, Home Affairs that 
has just started his career at Stud. Let's talk about Chris Waller and your association with him. It ba- you basically started off together, as you pointed out before, when you went to those sales up there in England. Did you realize? Did you realize at the time that you guys, obviously, you were dreaming big, but you're you could achieve what you've been able to achieve in the game. When you hop on that plane, Gareth, to go all the way to England and you're down in number 75D and you're scrunched in there, you've got a lot of time to dream. <laughs> but you, is it important? Um, it's important to dream, however, Guy. You need a purpose. And some well, can pull it off and yep. some can't, but you guys have been able to do it. And I'd love to know what what separates people like yourself and Chris Waller from the rest. What do you think separates you, you from the rest? I think you go to the horse sales and you you try to find a horse that suits somebody's budget. Like it's no point if a man's got $200,000 at the sale to spend, if you start showing him four half million dollar horses, all he's going to do is get sick of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's I think that's a very big thing is to identify your product and work out your values. And I guess the other important part that you guys have had success in is that you need to purchase these horses, but... Chris needs you to pick the right ones, but you also need Chris to do the job on the training track because if he's not doing that, then you look like a muck. Oh, the thing is, I think, you know, that that makes a hell of a lot of difference. You're buying horses for somebody that can train. Whereas, you know, a lot of horses basically walk out that sale ground and have just about zero chance. You know, there might be a Vairoga, there might be a stylish century early in their careers that turn out to be freaks, you know. Pound for pound, most horses need to be given the best chance by the best trainers. Would you knock back a a client, for instance, I come to you and say, Guy, can you pick out a yearling for me and I'm going to send it to this trainer? And you would go, I'm not buying you a horse because I don't believe in that trainer. Because because it's your reputation on the line as well? No, but I think the thing is the question, you know, you have to read the play a little bit with a client. Yeah. You know, if they if they want to get up the ladder and help you change the light bulb, the electrician doesn't really want to be there, does he? No. That's a very good point. You're going to enjoy your sayings as well. We'll have to have a guy saying each and every show. Um, <laughs> do trainers make good bloodstock agents? Um, It's like jockeys being good track work riders. Some can't ride track work, if you know what I mean, but they're jets in a race. Do some trainers believe that they are, they're good bloodstock agents, but basically they should stick to training? Well, I think that probably the game's changed a little bit, Gareth, yeah. where everybody wants a little bit more input and that sort of thing. So things do change, but some some clients leave it to you. Other clients want to be involved and you just have to tailor it all to suit every client, really. Yep. Hey, Captain, it's been one hell of a start by you. Um, we'll get a, we'll make up some memorabilia as well or some merchandise, I should say. We won't go to the memorabilia this early, but um, you've got the Winx hat on. You've got the Molecaster Bloodstock um, merchandise on today. So, and it doesn't really stop. We'll take a quick break and we'll come back and talk about the upcoming Magic Millions um, sales coming up with the broodmares and also, of course, the weanlings. We just had the chairman sale in Sydney there at Riverside. I don't think you were there. You, they tell me you, you, you were dominating the bars there at Warrnambool and also, geez, those weanling sales were impressive there at Riverside as well for Inglis. Uh, a couple of weeks back. So don't go anywhere. Siri's just talking to me as well. 
This is Gareth Hall, Guy Moldcaster for Breeding Bloodstock and Banter, of course, with the captain on this Thursday. Welcome back to the first ever show of Breeding Bloodstock and Banter. Gareth Hall with you, of course, with the captain, the one and the only Guy Moldcaster. Guy, um, so were you at the Sydney Riverside English Brew Mare sales, the chairman sale and the, the Wheeling sale? Was it? Well, Gareth, I was there on the Sunday morning. I had a quick scoot around. I found some pretty nice yearlings. A couple of my clients bought a couple of weanlings. Okay. And, and they'd be very happy with what they bought. Uh, we saw a good cross-section of some of the first season size. We saw some very nice horses by King's Legacy and other ones by Farnham. I think those two stallions will start off pretty well judged on the stock we've seen. After I'd looked at the weanlings, I had a very important meeting. I had to get down to Warnable just to settle in for the three days of the Warnable Cup. I want to ask you about Warnable, but let's have a chat about, first of all, the weanling sale there because the results were pretty good and um, for Inglis. And I know that Magic Millions are really looking forward to what they can produce next week. There were 42 horses sold for more than $100,000 in Inglis at their weanling sale. And that's a 24% year-on-year increase and the sale average was up six percent on six percent on last year. So, and that's coming out of the COVID years as well. So, do you think that more buyers are now looking at these weanling sales? So, like they think that they might be able to get a good horse cheaper than say waiting six months to go to the yearling sale. There is definitely the perception of end users stepping into this market, and yeah. that was shown by the capitalist uh, horse that made all the money. The brother to captive on, he was bought by Henry Field and his group of people. And, you know, there is an angle for that to buy a, a cheap er yearling as a weanling. But, you know, there's a lot can change and go on in the weanling sales. But I think probably the last couple of years, the pinhookers have probably taken it a little bit hard. And um, I think they've probably come back a little bit rather than just paying mm. mad money for weanlings, expect them to go to the yearling sales and have uh, five or six X on their purchase. So if I had $100,000 with a group of mates and I said to the captain, captain, let's, I want a pinhook. What would you say to me? And I want, and I want you to pick out a weanling for me. Well, if you told me that on a Friday afternoon, Gareth, I'd say to put <laughs> up on the footy and on the, uh, on the league. Yeah. And by the time you get to Sunday morning, you might have 400 grand and then we can probably talk some turkey. Okay. Make sure you gamble responsibly, of course. But so you need more than a hundred thousand. You're telling me. Oh, Gareth, the thing is, it's a return on investment thing. Yes. You know, like people say you put a hundred grand in, you get two hundred thousand back, but they forget there's a sales company commission, there's a preparing commission, there's a lot of ongoing costs. From a hundred to two hundred, I wouldn't say there'd be a hell of a lot of fat. Do you like buying weanlings for clients? So they say, All right, then go buy me a weanling, but I want this horse to be racing in a couple of years' time. Doesn't happen terribly much for me, Gareth. Um, I've done it on the odd occasion, yeah. but some people want to put them back into the market. And, you know, there's people that are better judges than me at, at deciding if they think a weanling's going to grow or not. I know that my niche market's buying racehorses and I'm not going to change it from too much from that. So that's an art in itself. People have that ability to identify a weanling and say so they're um, better than, say, they, they can a yearling. 
Totally, Gareth, because you've got a yeah. crystal ball gaze. You've got to know if it's going to grow. You've got to know if its limbs are going to stay straight. Mm. And you've also got to know if its x-rays are going to be perfect when you go to sell it again, its scope's going to be at just about a one or a two. So yep. you've only got about eight hoops to gr- jump through, Gareth. So you put your 100 in and we'll see how you turn out. All right, then. Love it. Now, the broodmare sale, the chairman sale was off the charts What with averaging over $700,000, which is... Unbelievable. I think the gross was $42 million, if you don't mind there, Captain. Um, is our broodmare market catching up now with the rest of the world, or do you think we've still got a little, we've got a little bit more growth there in, in, in our broodmare market? Well, we haven't seen too much of a recession in the broodmare market, have we? No, but compare us to America, for instance. You... Um, America, you're probably only seeing the very, very top 2 or 3%. Yeah. You know, you're seeing the ones make the moonbeams. But you got to remember, they have so many racing jurisdictions in America. In Australia, you've got two cities in Australia racing for $150,000 a race every Saturday, 52 weeks a year. You've got two other jurisdictions that are not not that far behind them. You go to America, you have a look at parks racing and that. They're racing for a buddy pie and a sausage roll. Yeah. So with these mares like Nimalee 3.6, Montefilia 3.4, Ice Bath, $2.3 $2.3 million. Rarely do you see, I know there's, there's the, the rare exception um, guy and hopefully Winks will be that, but rarely do you see these superstar mares produce champions. Well, you have a look what those mares cost as, as yearlings. Yeah. You have, they won. You have a look what they got sold for. The return on investments, absolutely massive. And that's why we've seen these fillies at these recent sales um, being sometimes leading the way is the top um, the top sale horse there on that particular day because people are starting to realise that now, the residual value in fillies. Well, you get a filly like Ice Bath or Montefilia yeah. Nimely as well. They've, they've done it on the track. They've got a big They've got a big page and they've got current race race course form. Yeah. And people, when they go to buy a yearling and they say, shit, I remember Montefilia, what a great mare she was, what a great job David Payne did with her, you know. Same with um, Ice Bath, you know, like she turned up every year from two to five and Brad Woodup did a great job with her too, yeah. you know, like she ran in every dance. She was a tough thing, you know. Yeah. And that's what it comes down to is people know those sort of mares, and it doesn't take them much to get interested in buying a yearling out of them. 100%. Now, we, we're having a chat about the, the Weanley market. The the first crop size, Hanseatic, North Pacific, Peltzer, Dirty Work. There's a few others there that have been impressive, they tell me, looking at these weanlings at the farm. If I if you, we, if we gave you a crystal ball, um, Captain, and we know that you don't mind um, backing yourself in, at the end of this or next season, this time next year, right then, who do you think will be the star first season size? Well, those ones have only got young horses. I mean, if if you're talking about this season, the ones that sold this year at the sales, and which one's going to be the leading two-year-old size? No, well, then... what I'm saying is these weanlings now, next yep. year at the end of the yearling sale, who who will be the the the, the first season sire in 2024? Well, for me, it'd be the, the two picks. It'd be uh, Farnham and King's Legacy. Okay. So, should we take a punt on purchasing those weanlings now, at at the the weanling sale coming up, say at the Magic Millions, and then if you're pin hooking, for instance? Well, you got to remember that these stallions, you're going to see 10, 15 weanlings by these stallions at the sales. Yeah. 
You've also got to remember that there's probably 120 by each stallion home in the paddocks that people are very happy to keep and take through to the yearling sales. Yep. So that's the question you have to ask yourself before you go flying into Pinhook. Yeah, with 100,000. <laughs> well, I'll, 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 I'll have to ask the captain for a lend, it sounds like. <laughs> now, I want to ask you this question. I know we don't, we won't want to get too political on this show, but Victoria just increased their point of consumption tax. And basically the Victorian government said, well, we will give you seven and a half percent back on the 15% that you will be getting through the, the point of consumption tax. But we need you to do a couple of things for us. And one of those is making sure that you tighten the belts and, um, reduce some prize money. In fact, you can't be spending like you have regarding the prize money. Do you think that a decision like that and with news coming out of Victoria, that that will start to have an impact on these yielding prices going forward? Well, you know, what you just said, Gareth, why wouldn't the people that decided to tell all the racing clubs what to do why wouldn't they put half a dozen people on a bus and send them to Warnable and show how to run a good show? Yeah. You know, like Warnable had lots of can bars. Everybody, you bought a beer and they said, have a lovely day. And you had to line up for three minutes for it. Yeah. I was like, have a runner in the, in the uh, Derby last year in Melbourne. You line up to get your mounting yard tickets. They're still ticking off things on a piece of A4. Like, is, is it not time in this world to email tickets out to the managing owners for them to distribute? Hmm. I can understand that, but what I'm, I'm trying to um, make the point regarding, do you think that the way that the, the wagering landscape is changing at the moment and whether the, the, the racing jurisdictions can get the revenue that they once did to pop up the prize money, do you think that that will have an effect on the breeding game? Probably not, because we've got we've got a very strong racing industry, yeah. and there's no way that the Golden Slippers or the Coolmore Stud Stakes and that are going to come down in prize money. There'd no. be a total, up, and those are the races that decide what the stallion fees are the next year. Yeah, no, that's a point, a great point you make, and the racing game, especially if there's prize money at that top end, you'll still get the big boys trying to find their next champion, and um, Australian prize money and you still compare it to the rest of the world. We are pretty lucky in this country. Don't go anywhere. We'll continue on our chat with the captain. This is the first show, and I'll tell you what, he's been sensational on his debut, the breeding, bloodstock, and banter with the captain, Guy Moldcaster, and, of course, you're with Gareth Hall. Welcome back to Breeding, Bloodstock, and Banter with the captain, Gareth Hall, with you, along with, of course, the captain, Guy Moldcaster. We're going through our hot topics, and this was actually a question I got sent through that, Someone wanted to ask you, Guy, and I'm fascinated to hear your response. Now, when you've got the little breeders who like to find, uh, like they've got a couple of brood mares and they try and find their, the, the right stallion and then either race it or sell it at the sales, and um, especially for the sellers, they tell me it's getting a little bit more difficult to to keep making sure that you improve your, your brood mares, and to do that, you need to spend a bit of money, but... When you have a look what Yearlong and Coolmore have done recently at the, the broodmare sales, is it going to be more difficult for the hobby breeders and the smaller breeders to compete with the big the big farms? It's always going to be competitive, Gareth. And, you know, what Mr. Zhang's done with Yearlong is absolutely amazing. And he's probably, he's probably stopped the whole economic downturn 
single-handedly, hasn't he? You know, like he's bought a hell of a lot of yearlings. He's bought huge numbers of mares. He's got stallions. He's taking on new stallions. He's probably going to buy some more stallions. And, you know, if there was five Mr. Jangs in, in Australia, it would be very, very easy for all of us. Surely you can get on Mr. Jangs' payroll. He needs a bloodstock agent, Guy Mulcaster, surely. Uh, um, well, I'm probably better off just sticking to my own knitting, really, Gareth. Correct. You've worked a little bit with Coolmore as well, with the, with their, of course, Stallion Syndicate. What's it been like working with the, the famous Coolmore brand, brand? It's amazing. And, you know, it was, it was when they came to, to Chris Waller about having these horses trained, he said that he'd like me to have some input on what we do. And uh, it's been a very, very good journey so far. And it's probably really only just begun. We've had, uh, we managed to get home affairs in our first year and then had a lot of wet tracks in the second year. But this year we got Shinzu and he was a homebred that got put into the syndicate and he's a magnificent horse. We saw him on the farm and we just had to have him in the syndicate. So that that's worked out amazingly well. He was a bit of a slow learner along the way, Gareth. You know, Shinzu, he did get yeah. beat on at Randwick, but then he came out the week before the slipper and put them to the sword and everybody said he had no chance. And in the end, he won pretty comfortably. I couldn't work out why everyone, I couldn't believe his price, especially with the way that that track plays on slipper day inside barriers are an advantage. And I'm pretty sure that Ryan Moore wouldn't come out here for no reason. Well, he sort of made him do it, didn't he? Yeah. You know, that was, that's a, that's a testament to how good a jockey he is. He put him in the right spot and he drove him through and the rest is history. But, uh, you know, like, We've, uh, we've managed to get a colt back to, to Coolmore Stud, who's had a great start to his breeding career in home affairs. And we're looking forward to the three-year-old year with Shinzu. And we've got a number of other impressive horses coming through. We saw Kadinstri Kid abstract win just last week, and I, we hold him in high hopes. So with the, the Coolmore team and you're looking at these colts, if they want a stallion, if they want a colt, do they get that colt or do sometimes they get beat? Uh, they they pretty much you know they have a, a a number of people involved in their selection process and uh, Mr Magna back in Ireland has a lot to do with it as well and they know you know they know what they want to pay for a horse and some of them are nearly must haves but they still you know still money has to come out of their pockets and they're not just going to go completely stupid on them they they put a budget on and one or two they might go a little bit further and number they'll pull up on. Captain, we are running out of time. This has been a lot of fun. The season or the, the stallion fees have been announced over the last three to four weeks. I know that you like to breed a couple. How do you work out the perfect stallion for your mare? Um, basically, we've got a, there's a few of us involved in breeding a few mares and uh, we've done pretty well so far. But uh, we all sit down and have a talk and work out what the mare deserves, how much you want to spend on her and what the best stallion to suit that job is. So that's a that's a that's a process that you need to get right as a as a breeder. How have you been able to get that right? I think it's probably knowing your product. Um, yep. We know what sort of mares they are, what sort of foals they leave, and then we can try and work it out with the stallion. You know, we've seen some of his progeny and previously, and we know what we like about them and what we don't dislike about them. Do you like to take the pun on first season size, or would you like to say? Well, I want to go to this side because I, I think that, you know, he's, he's doing a pretty good job and I'm, you might hear some mail out wide that geez, these these horses from this stallion are flying at the moment. 
And do you believe everything you hear on the on the I, grapevine? I, I, I've got – I hear your mail's pretty good, Captain. Make sure you <laughs> share it on this podcast as well. Right, but a lot of the time, you know, people say this and say that, and there could be an agenda, you know. That's yep. why you just make your own decisions. So, all right then. So when you're choosing your stallion for your mare, how many phone calls are you making? Are you making sure you do some homework with, like, bring up Chris and what do you think of these horses or um, do you do that? No, no. Oh. I just, I just have, I just work. I know what the mayor leaves, and then we, then we work out amongst ourselves who, who, who we think the best stallion to suit that job is. Do you mate on type or more on the the pedigree or the crosses? Uh, mostly on type. Okay. I wouldn't I proclaim to know a hell of a lot about the crosses. But there are some pretty smart blokes that I can ring and ask ask them about so it. You, there, there you go. I got you, Captain. You do ring, see? On your <laughs> now, 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 Captain, who's the best value with the, the new season fees? Value? Yeah, the value. Like I think I, I'm a bit biased here, but I've got a I've got a soft spot for a Stern. I love him, and he's produced Af Cabin, Golden Mile. He's produced a an Oaks winner, and you can get him for $22,000 compared to taking a pun on a first season sire for quadruple that. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're probably on the right track there, Gareth. And if you ring the nice dolphin, they might give you a little bit of discount for giving him a plug. I don't know about that. But have you got a bargain for us? No. No. Oh, you're not giving it away. That's why. Um, Now, this is close to you. When you have a look at Back at say the championships, um, the New Zealand bred horses completely dominated. Like they were winning Group Ones for fun. It has been one hell of a year for, for New Zealand breeding and New Zealand racing, Captain. Have you, can you remember a time where New Zealand has been, especially in recent times, have been this dominant, both I guess on the racetrack and also with their size? Absolutely amazing, Gareth. It you is. know, and it's and it's. New Zealand's always punched above their weight and, and there's always good horses come out of New Zealand. And, you know, if they if they spend a little bit more money on their brood mares, they'll even keep doing better and better in the years to come. That's the advice you're giving them, Captain, for free. Totally, but they don't listen much. Not even to you these days. You're their hometown hero, the face of New Zealand racing. Well, most of them only talk to me in the two weeks leading up to Caracas. Yeah, not like us. We're with you for life now. We're family. Now, Captain, <laughs> with Mocha... <laughs> Yeah, pal. With Mulcaster Bloodstock, what are we looking for? What's um, the captain keeping a close eye on? A few of the horses that you've purchased along the way. What can we keep? Um, what? What? Where do we need to be watching? Well, I think uh, we had a horse run third at Gosford last week. The track didn't suit, and uh, he probably wants a bit further. He wants a better deck. His name's Methuselah. Yes, a two-year-old by the Autumn Sun. And um, I mentioned Kedinstry Abstract before. There was a horse that ran second to him that had no luck at all from Les Bridges' stable called Celestial Legend. Mm-hmm. Go back and have a look at the replay. He's a winner coming up very, very soon. What about the captain's pick? What are we punting this week, whether it be football, racing? Well, um, why don't we just have a little multi yeah. and go, go the Broncos the Broncos won't. Broncos won't beat the Storm. At, I don't. Surely, come on. Well, Gareth, it'll be at at like about nine thirty tonight. You'll be getting a text. Yeah. Yes. 
But so, like, why don't we just take the Broncos All right, and then. Uh, it's your show, so you do whatever you want, Broncos. <laughs> and the bomb bus to start into Kovalika. Kovalika. Do you think Kovalika will handle Doombin? Like, is this like the Raf Habit? He's a short prize favourite. A few of my experts there on Giddy Up, I know you love Giddy Up on the weekend preview, say that he's vulnerable around Doombin, but he'll be winning the Derby, but this not be this might not um, be his day on Saturday. Well, when he's had seven starts for five wins, he doesn't have too many bad days. <laughs> no. So the Essendon line, they've got no back line, but Broncos, Essendon, and Kovalika in the rough habit. Yeah. Um, love it. And make sure, of course, that um, um, imagine what you could be buying instead for free and confidential support. Visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. You've got to make sure that you tick all the boxes these days, Guy, as you well know. So you're off to the Magic Millions for the Broodmare and Weanling sales. Will you be participating? Yes, I will be participating. And you can get hold of Magic Millions and put your 100 in your account, Gareth, and I'll send you a list about two days before the Weanlings go through. How many days will they give me? (laughs) Uh, I think they start with 30, but somebody would be more on 15, I would. Probably I'd say you'd be pay on the day person. Yeah, especially after they've been listening to your Molsey thinking, I'm following you in there. So, <laughs> so um, and what about if we want to get in contact with you, brother? If, we, uh, if we're interested in a, in, in a bit of guy magic at the Wheeling sales? Uh, send me an email on g.molcaster at hotmail.com. g.molcaster at, what's the email? Hotmail. Hotmail. Hotmail.com. It's always a pleasure, Guy. Thanks, Gareth. Good on you, Captain. And before we wrap up our first show, this is an email that you need to jot down. It's our illustrious producer's email, jackson.france, which is F-R-A-N-T-Z at sen.com.au. So jackson.france, F-R-A-N-T-Z at sen.com.au. We'll have a question time with the Captain. So if you've got a question about anything breeding or bloodstock related, or you might even want a tip from the captain, send that email in to Jacko and uh, we'll spend five minutes towards the back end of the show each and every week with some questions for the captain. So that's jackson.france, F-R-A-N-T-Z at sen.com.au. Thanks for your company for the first ever show of breeding bloodstock and banter with the captain Guy Moldcaster and of course Gareth Hall. It's been a lot, a lot of fun. I think it's going to be a lot of fun over this journey. Have a wonderful day and enjoy your week and we'll catch up with you next week here on SEN Track.